Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shining the Light, the podcast dedicated to sending out the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Dane Edmondson. Here with me is my co-host, Brian Wise, lead pastor at Community Baptist Church of Richmond. Welcome to Episode 8, Brian. Thank you, Dane. Glad to be here. We're also joined today by our guest, Chad Smith. Welcome to the show, Chad. Thank you. Glad to be here. Chad is a member of Community Baptist Church of Richmond, and he's involved in many of the outreach efforts our church engages in. During today's episode, we're going to hear Chad's salvation testimony and then talk about evangelizing and how Chad goes about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Uh, We're not going to have any questions from the audience today so that we can give our full attention to the topic of evangelism and also uh, with Chad as our guest. So we'll start off today by asking uh, you, Chad, can you tell us briefly about yourself and how you came to know uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Okay, Dane. I'm 42 years old. Uh, my wife's name is Bridget. We've been married for 11 years. Uh, we have two kids. Bridget, she's uh, been a teacher for 14 years at Lance Cruz. Um, myself, I've been a deputy. I, I work for the Oakland County Sheriff's Department, and I've, I'm a deputy there. I've been a deputy for 14 years, and prior to being a deputy, I was in the Army for about four and a half years. About how I became saved, my salvation, um, Really, it, it starts with my marriage. And uh, Bridget and I, we, when we first got married, almost for the first seven, eight years, it, it wasn't a solid one. In fact, about seven, eight years, we almost got divorced. And not to go too much into it, but some friends of ours and family knew we were going through a hard time and were talking about getting divorced. And at that time, we only had Emma, who's two years old. And they told us to go see Fireproof, a Christian movie. Was that the movie with Kirk Cameron? Kirk did Cameron, okay, yes. Yeah. And uh, so we went to see it. I did it sort of reluctantly. I mean, I wanted to save a marriage. I just didn't know how. And when I saw the movie, it was like watching my life, my marriage on the screen. And during the movie, it actually talks about doing a 40-day love dare. And after the movie, that's exactly what I did. You know, I, I wasn't too sure really how to save a marriage, what to go about it, but did a 40-day love there, and it challenged you to do certain acts of kindness and love to your wife, but it also challenges you to read scripture every day. And about a week through it, it then it t- tells you to dive even more so into the Word of God by reading a chapter of Matthew and a chapter of Proverbs. And that's what I, and as I was going through the love there, reading scripture, reading the Word of God, it's like I, I was blind, and it's, God just basically removed this veil from my eyes, and I really saw basically who I was, not just a bad husband, but just a sinner in need of his mercy and grace and his forgiveness. And I I never read the Bible before. I, I was brought up nominal Catholic. Bridget was a strong Catholic background. Myself, I, I never heard the actual true gospel until I was reading it. And it was the word of God that changed me. He changed my heart. Um, It was never... I can't point to a specific day when I just repented, but it was during that process, that 40-day process, and then continually reading the Bible, that I just asked for forgiveness, that I just, you know, God, it's it's you. I I need your mercy. And from that point on, you know, he, he saved me, and I just continued to read. And Bridget and I read the Bible together. And we both just came to a saving knowledge of who truly Jesus Christ was, and we live for him now. Can you tell us briefly where you serve uh, here at Community 
Baptist Church and uh, why you enjoy ministering to others in the church? Uh, sure. Yeah, um, I've been coming to community for about three years now. I help out in certain certain areas with the college and career students. Um, I help Dave Johnson sort of assist there, teaching them. I've also been filling in just recently with the high school students as well. I help out in Awana and Usher. Uh, with the one I do the games, I usher at the church. But I would say the biggest ministry that I love doing, and it is with the college group and the high school group in a way too, is the outreach. About two years ago, our church has like a tent, a booth, as a good old days. It's not just an outreach to like present the gospel and a life-saving message there, but I was asked sort of like to take over and run that. I just started doing it two years ago, and it's been a great experience. And then we've been taking the college and career group to Oakland University as well in the same type of fashion that we do at the good old days, which we'll explain later, about presenting the gospel there at Oakland University, which is in Rochester Hills. And also just the past year, we've been going to Grace Centers. We've, I've been taking a group with the college group and once now with the high school group, going to Grace Centers of Hope, which is in Pontiac, is a shelter uh, that helps the homeless, people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol, and it's in its Christian base, it's faith base. So it's a great place to serve, and we've been going there as well. So that's what, that's the areas where I'm involved in with Community Baptist. Can you uh, just expand on that a little bit, Chad? Of the the uh, this aspect of evangelizing, of sharing the gospel. Right? That's that's the word. I mean. It comes from the Greek, and it's to, to preach the good news is what it is. It's to share the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on our uh, show, we uh, shared with our listeners about the Great Commission uh, from the Lord Jesus, that he commanded all of his followers, uh, all of his disciples, to make disciples. And so we, we want to do that because that is an obedient Christian going and that is going to people who've never heard of the gospel. Um, you know, so that's why we had the Nordines here. That's why we had Irfan Abdulatif here. They're going. They're, they're taking the gospel to people that, uh, maybe I won't get to go to and I won't get to share the gospel with and they've never heard of Jesus. So we're to go and we're to, you know, baptize those who come to faith in, in Christ Jesus and, and then teach them, teach them to obey all things that, that the Lord has commanded us. Why is evangelism so important to you? Why are you so passionate about that? Uh, good question. I mean, really it is because Jesus commanded us, just like you said, the Great Commission in um, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and Mark sixteen fifteen, of going and making disciples. And it's just, it puts such a burden on my heart when I read the Bible and I continue to read it. When he changed me, it just, I want people to come to it knowing salvation of Christ, just like I was. I mean, for 36 years, I was blind. And I just want everyone else to come. I mean, I guess that's my passion. I mean, and it's, it should be every believer's passion. I mean, that's what God wants. I mean, in Second Peter 3, 9, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but come to repentance. Learning how to evangelize, obviously the Bible instructs us. There are certain books, though, that really brought to light to me, like, Almost, I don't say say how to do it better, but just how to do it, how to get in conversations with people. The Way to Master by Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron was a great book that really teach me just, I don't say better way, but just a good way to evangelize and present the gospel. 
And also, um, Mark Cahill wrote a great book. I think this was the first one I read, actually. And they're all biblical books, just pulling out, you know, reasons why and how to evangelize, to witness the people. And Mark Cahill wrote the book, um, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, which he says, one thing you can't do is witness to a lost person in heaven because we're all believers there. And so they just heighten the fact of how important it is. And reading the Bible, too, I, I learned that you don't need a, theology degree you don't have it's it's not based it's not just for pastors teachers or people with you know degrees it wasn't just for the apostles to go spread the good news it was for everybody and that's what i learned too just even outside of reading different books whatever how christianity exploded and it exploded not just because of the 12 apostles but exploded because once people knew and repented and came to faith in Jesus, they told their neighbor, they told their family. So, and that's all I'm doing. It's, it's just telling everybody that, that message. When you are, uh, when you're out, you know, whether it be, um, just in, in public, in a public setting, maybe, you know, the good old days booth or, you know, talk to us a little bit about the method that, uh, you use. And you mentioned it, you know, briefly, uh, the way of the master. That's a great ministry that has been helpful to many people uh, in just helping them uh, improve and mature in understanding of the basics of the gospel. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you engage people in conversation. Yeah, at the Good Old Days booth, we use a law to show people that they need Jesus Christ. They need to come to the cross for forgiveness. That the law it says you know and I and I get this from scripture and the books I read is it's the key to unlock the door to salvation. First Timothy one eight through ten it talks about how the law was not made for a righteous person but for sinners. And in Romans seven seven Paul said that he would have never known sin but by the law if it wasn't for the law. The law prepares a heart. Um, Psalm nineteen seven says the law of the Lord is perfect for, for converting the soul. So what you're doing is, you, you, and we'll get into the good person test, but you're using a law basically to, like, to prepare the soil before you give the cure. Like the, you're, you're telling them that their disease or sick, which is sin, and then you give them the cure. Um, one, cause, and I didn't even realize this, but in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, because you'll see out in the corner, sometimes people will say like, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. But they don't know why. They're given the cure, but they're not really telling them why. In 1 Corinthians one eighteen, it says the cross is foolishness um, to the unbelievers. It's almost like, and I tell people, I use an example, like a doctor going up to you and saying, you need this shot. And you back off, say, well, why? Why do I need this shot? You're not giving me a reason. And the doctor says, well, you have 10, 10 clear signs that you're sick, 10 symptoms that you're showing that you're sick and you're going to die in an hour if you don't get this shot. So now by you know why you need the shot. And that's what you're doing with the law. You're showing that they're a sinner and they need Christ. They need the forgiveness of the cross. So that's where we use a good person test at the booth at Oak University. Right, the good old days booth. Uh, we set up, you know, a table and it has different types of books, DVDs, and tracks that explain even further what, you know, if they need any more information. 
But we have a sign also that says, are you a good person? You know, please take the good person test. So many people, you don't, you don't even have to ask them to come take it. They're, it's like God draws them in. And they, they, they ask, like, well, can I take, you know, what's this good person test? Can I take it? What, what's this all about? So, and the good person test is, is simple. You, you, again, it's just using the law, and you just ask them, do you think you're a good person? Do most people consider themselves to be a good person? I mean, when I talk to people, I think most people think, I'm not that bad. Or they have the idea maybe even of the scale. You know, like, well, you know, good versus bad. Well, we've all been bad, but I think my good is going to outweigh the bad. What, what do you what do you come into contact when we, with when you talk to people about that? Very rare do I ever get a person that says, no, I don't think I'm a good person. Most of the time they're going to say they're a good person. I thought I was a good person before. I realized I wasn't in God's eyes. So, and, and it's and it's great once they say, yeah, I'm a good person, then we can go right into the test. So how do you use the law then to show them? Because this, this isn't you versus them. It's not a comparison of, you know, you uh, compared to them. How how then do you walk them through? If you say, some, you know, you say to somebody, so you say, consider yourself to be a good person. They say yes, then, then what do you say? And that's where we use the commandments. That's where we use the law. So you start out at almost like it seems like a basic way, but you just ask them, like, have you ever told a lie? Which is like the ninth commandment. And you don't have to say ninth commandment, but have you ever told a lie? Mm -hmm. And most people generally say, yeah, sure. You know, I, I told a lie. And then you get, then you ask them, well, what do you call someone that tells a lie? And then they'll wind up saying a liar. So you, Basically, you get them to admit you're not accusing them. You're just asking merely a question. There's no accusations. You're not, you know, screaming at and yelling at them. You're just asking them a simple question. And then you go on to the next one. Have you ever stolen anything? And it doesn't have to be in a disorder, but this is generally what I do. Have you ever stolen anything insignificant of the value? And again, some people might waver at it, but most of the time they'll say, sure. And you ask them, what do you call someone that steals something? They'll admit to a thief. Another question you could ask, have you ever you know, looked with lust at somebody? And they'll say, look at you, well, of course, you know, sure. And then you say, well, Jesus said, whoever looks with lust at somebody is adulterer of the heart. At this point, you can continue on. If they're still looking at you, willing to engage you and go on to another commandment of, Going on to asking whether they ever took God's name in vain, which is blasphemy. And at this point, usually the law is working at the heart. All of a sudden, you can most of the time you see the demeanor drop. They thought they were just a great person, and then all of a sudden, well, wait a second, maybe you know you can see them questioning now. So at that point, you tell them like, well, by your own admission, and that was great. They is that they admitted themselves. You didn't accuse them. By your own admission, you said you were a liar. You said you were a thief, a adulterer at heart, a blasphemer. So if you were to say in front of God on judgment day, and he was going to judge you by his standards, would you be innocent or guilty? And this is where it's great, because this is where the conversations really step off, because it can go in either direction. Most of the time, they'll say guilty. You know, sometimes they'll still say innocence. They'll still fight you on it, maybe. Or, you know, they won't really realize what they're saying. But most of the time, they'll say guilty. And that's when you say, well, then would you go to heaven or hell? 
And this is the biggest question. This is eternal now. Would you go to heaven or hell? And again, this is where conversations take place. You're going to, most, some people will say, I'll say half will say heaven because they still won't realize their guilt. The other half, you know, might say hell. You might, or I don't believe in heaven or hell, but that's where you can get into a great conversation. But again, you're preparing their heart, preparing that soil. I always use it for people that really don't, you know, they say they're still going to go to heaven. You know, they, they might say, well, I'm good enough. I, my good works will outweigh my bad. So I always use, and maybe because I work in a court of law as a deputy, but I always use a court of law to show them and say, well, try to use that. If you're guilty of a crime, standing in front of a judge, and you admitted you're guilty, there's facts all proven, and you say, but judge, I do so many good acts. I give half my money to the poor. I walk old ladies across the street. I, and I'll volunteer at the soup kitchen. Can't you forgive me of, you know, crime X, Y, and Z? And I always say, what would a good, honest judge do? And they would say, well, you know, probably still find me guilty. And I go, yeah. And God, Jesus is the greatest judge. The most, holy and just above any type of earthly judge so you're trying to do the same thing you're trying to use your good acts to buy your way into heaven and god even said uh, the bible says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags so we can't earn our way to heaven and that's something here in america and probably elsewhere like most most religions in fact all religions have christianity is a workspace faith they have to earn their way. So most of the time when you engage with a non-believer, you're, you're fighting against that workspace. They think they can earn their way to heaven. But realistically, it's all about what Jesus did on the cross. And we know that. So, and so when you use certain examples that basically try to show them their guilt, and if they're not ready, I always tell people too, if they're not necessarily ready to hear the cure, to hear that what Jesus did on the cross, you don't have to give them the cure. Let let us sink in our heart. Let them sit there in their sin and think about that. But most of the time, they do want to hear the good news. So as you use the law, just to clarify, what you are not saying is, here, you need to keep the Ten Commandments, and then you'll be okay with God. Then you'll be fine with God. Here, here's the Ten Commandments. Let me teach these to you. And once you learn that you're not supposed to do those things, then you're going to be okay, right? You're not, you're not saying no. that. No. And in fact, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace, um, you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by Jesus for good works, but we're not saved by good works. Or else that would take away everything that Jesus did. We would, we would stand in front of Jesus. The one that died on the cross with nail pierced hands and feet. But yet, if we could earn our, through works, we would brag about ourselves. And I always tell people, even with the little background, I always tell people, why would Jesus die such a heinous death if we could earn salvation ourselves? So once you walk them through and, and if they're really, if you can see their demeanor drop and they're ready for that cure. That's when you say, hey, look at the Bible offers hope. You know, there is good news, and you tell them about what Jesus did on the cross. You tell them how he paid 
our penalty. And a lot of times I'll go back to the courtroom, the earthly courtroom, and say, same thing, you're guilty in front of the judge. The judge says you either pay a million dollars or you got life in prison. And you look at the judge and say, judge, I don't have a million dollars. And then just before he, the judge sentenced you, someone comes into the courtroom, says, judge, I sold everything I had. Here's a million dollars paid in full. I want to pay this man's penalty. The judge looks at it, million dollars, and the judge says, the fine is paid in full. You're free to go. And I've just asked them, what would you do? I mean, what would you think about that person? And they all say, I would owe them my life. And I said, that's exactly what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He paid the penalty for us on the cross that we couldn't earn ourselves. And all he asks is that you give him your life, that you repent and turn towards him. Another analogy, too, I tell them, like, when you ask for forgiveness or when you repent, it's like you cling on to Jesus, no matter how good life gets or bad life gets. It's, it's like jumping out of a plane. And Ray Comfort uses this analogy. is when you got to jump out of a plane and you got a parachute, that's the only thing you, that's going to save you. It doesn't matter whether you're a million dollars rich, have a mansion, or, you know, just a janitor. It doesn't matter what you do. All that matters is that parachute. And you cling on to it for dear life. Well, you cling on to it. Cling on to Jesus for dear life because that's the only thing that's going to save us. And the great thing about that, too, is it's just not salvation, but it's a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and that, again, that's where like a conversation goes. You, you get the gauge on how, how much they want to talk, how, how deep do they really want to go. And you can point out, you know, scriptures and open up the Bible. But once you use the law, once you see their heart prepared, you give them the cure, you tell them what to do. It's up to them at that point. You know, this is um, this is so beneficial and, and it fits so well because we've we've on the podcast we've laid the groundwork of the importance and necessity of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And as much as we can, we are going to show you know show through Scripture to our listeners so that we understand the value, the beauty of the Old Testament. Part one, New Testament. Part two, the fulfillment. And uh, Old Testament, Christ is concealed. New Testament, Christ is revealed. When Paul writes to the Galatians, uh, the third chapter of Galatians, he talks about the law. And there were those in, uh, that he was dealing with who were false teachers who were trying to drag uh, even believers. They were, they were trying to drag Christians back under the law. You got to keep this and you got to do that and you got to do the other. They were trying to, again, resurrect a works-based system which is what Judaism had turned into. It had morphed into. And so in Galatians 3, this is what Paul says about the law. Verse 24, he says, So then the law was our guardian, some translations say our tutor, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And Chad, that's what you've been talking about is the law. It drives us to, to our need. It shows us our need. It's like a mirror. And we look into the perfect law of God and we say, oh my goodness, I'm a miserable, I'm a sinner, I'm a wreck. But then the same word of God, this two-edged sword, it cuts at our sin, but it also cleanses and it 
And in the same word, we see that it's Christ. And we, we show to sinners, you know, we're all sinners, but then we're able to give the word that saves, which is the word of God, so that by faith, they don't need a guardian. They don't need a tutor anymore. We have a father, a heavenly father. We have a savior in Jesus who is God. And, um, that, that's just marvelous. Uh, the gospel, it just gets better every time, every time we, every time we share it and talk about it. Do you find that the way you approach someone differs depending on their, the demographic of that person, like their age, gender, how they look, how they, you know, are, are approaching you, their body language, anything like that? Do you, do you change how you approach them, what you say to them to start off a conversation? For the most part, I would say no. I, you know, because they still have to see their sin. Now, at, at a certain age, if I'm talking to a younger group, I would say I, I, I probably won't talk about the lust factor because then they might laugh or giggle and they'll lose focus on really what we're trying to do. So, yeah, you, you judge on certain things you'll say to a younger person or even an older person. Like if I'm talking to like grandparents and stuff like that, I, I wouldn't do it if I'm talking to a normal person when I'm introducing the law and asking them, you know, have you ever told a lie? If I'm talking to someone older, though, out of respect, I'll generally say, have you ever looked at the way God is going to judge us, how we've all lied? Or, you know, I, I looked at myself and I was a liar and how God will judge us. And I'll sort of walk it through by not necessarily asking them specific questions, but being more gentle in a way, even though we do everything in love. But I don't want to be disrespectful to someone older. But I'm still presenting, making sure that they know that it's not about being a good person, though. So that's the only thing I might change, even to a broken person. Um, just yesterday, um, I was up in court with the person, and you could tell his demeanor. He was broken. He was already broken. He, you know, he's messed up in life. He's going to jail. He's fighting through cancer. So there's no real, really reason to like. I don't want to say drag them through the mud, but drag them through, like, all right, you're a sinner. And, you know, so I, I gently presented the gospel almost like I would to an older person. Because, again, I, I see that to a broken person, give them the love of Christ. I mean, they're already broken. Tell them, like, look, I'm in the same boat as you. I, no matter what good I do, I still need a Savior. And I, and I just get in a conversation with them that way. So that's the only way. I would differ, but always trying to use the law, though, to show them the need for the Savior. Yeah, I think that's what uh, I've heard Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron say repeatedly. You give the law to the proud and grace to the humble. You know, um, that, that is so important to be mindful as we talk with to people. And even as our listeners, we may have listeners who are, are you know, investigating uh, who Christ is. And the same, the same applies to, to you if you're listening and you don't know Christ. Well, if you're humble, His grace is available. If you're proud and self-righteous, then the law, it, it drives you to show you your need of Christ. When you've shared the gospel uh, with others, what are some arguments that people have given to kind of get out of really uh, focusing on what the law is showing to them? This is great because when you get in enough conversations, you you might hear some new stuff, but as you go along and you talk, you'll you'll hear it over and over again. But most of the time, is you know I know I'm a good person. They just won't they won't listen. They won't. Well, I know I'm good, and 
And that's when you use examples to show them, like a court of law. You just sort of use examples. Or, I don't think anyone's going to hell. And an example there, or, you know, in the same aspects of, well, my God would never send anyone to hell. And you can use examples. I always tell people, like, well, what about Adolf Hitler? Killed 10 million people. Would you think God sent him to hell? You think he deserves punishment? Or Stalin, or what about someone who rapes and murders people? And then generally they'll say, well, yeah, they deserve it. You know, they deserve punishment. And then you just use the Bible again, you use that law to show them, like, look, it, it says all murderers and liars will have their place in the lake of fire. It, it combines them. There's no difference to God in that aspect with that we're all sinners. Some people will say, I don't believe in God. And again, you can go in many different ways. A funny way that I, I like to do is like, I always say, I'm like, well, that's, that's a good, you know, so you don't believe it. I'm like, oh, well, I don't believe this building really had a builder. I, I never seen it built. I didn't know who built it or who drew up the plans. I, I just know concrete and motor and paint has been around for billions of years. And just at one time, it just all tumbled together and built itself. And it's just sort of a lighthearted way of like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, well, our bodies is more complex than any type of building, this whole universe. And, and you'll answer certain questions. And a lot of times you will come up with questions. But one thing you want to do, and this is great comfort, and a- anyone that like evangelizes witnesses say, be careful of going down what they call like, like rabbit trails. Like they'll always come up with excuses to avert, to get away from the law, which is probably piercing their heart by now. And they'll just come up with all these different excuses. And it's great to answer them. If you got time to really engage, it's, it's okay. And I'll stay there and engage. But go back. Don't, you know, most of our engagements with the lost, especially if they're strangers at the good old days, Oak University, you might not have ample amount of time. They're not going to stand around for like a half hour, hour to really get in this debate. Is there a God? Am I good enough? Is there a heaven or hell? So you might want to answer the question, but then just bring it right back to the law and just say, it's an interesting question. So you consider yourself a good person. Like, come right back to it because you, you can sit there and answer all day. And I, every now and then I catch myself and it's almost like God's speaking in like, hey, get, get back to topic. You know, the Holy Spirit's directing me, you know, get back there. Let's, let's pierce her heart. Let's use, you know, plant those seeds. We can answer those questions later. And that's why at the good old days, too, is at the table, we have books that will answer those questions, historical facts, biblical facts, and how it's scientifically like proven, how we can know there's a God. So we, we can hand them books. We can hand them tracts or DVDs to prove or answer the questions. We sort of want to get back to, again, showing them that the need for Jesus Christ, the need for the cross. Now, I know when I, I joined you uh, this past summer at Good Old Days, there was one young gentleman there who he said that he knew he was saved. And when you were t- started talking to him further, uh, he admitted that it was because um, he believed that it was through good works that he was he was saved. And he went to a, a Christian church and things like that. How do you uh, evangelize to people like that who call themselves Christian and yet they may have a uh, a skewed view of salvation. Yeah, it's a good question, and they're they're probably the toughest to evangelize to, to witness to. 
a lot of times too, I'll just ask a plain, simple question of who is Jesus to you and get them to answer that, you know, and a lot of times too, you, you'll hear them say, just give maybe the book answer. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a son of God, the same, you know, that took away the sins of the world. And you can sort of tell by the tone of their voice, there's nothing really there. And you want to ask them, well, why did Jesus die? You know, if they're adamant, if they're saying they're a Christian and they can earn it by good works, I always go back to like, who is Jesus? And then why did he have to die if you could earn it? It doesn't make sense. And then you point out scripture. And um, I know, um, Pastor Brian, you say it a lot, is opening up the Bible. If they're really proclaiming to be a Christian, pointing out certain scriptures to them and ask them to read. You know, give them the Bible so they can actually read the Word of God themselves. It's powerful. You know, I, I, again, Pastor Brian sort of taught us, taught us how to do that. And the Word of God speaks for itself. You know, again, you don't have to force anybody. Just let the Word of God convict. Yeah, I think this is probably a good place to, to just give, you know, one of uh, the sections of Scripture that, that deals with it, you know, from Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 4. In verse 5 and 6, uh, we see the Trinity here in, involved in salvation. Uh, Paul writes, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, how can you argue with the word of God? And you'll actually have people, too, argue with it. But again, they're not arguing against you. They're arguing against God. They're they're fighting God. And that's when you just, you know, again, let let the word of God speak for itself. What advice would you give to a follower of Jesus who maybe hasn't experienced evangelizing strangers or even friends or relatives before? One, every, everyone's nervous. I, I get every time I go out, even about to open up my mouth and evangelize or maybe to hand out a track or at the good old days, with I'm nervous. But that's where prayer comes in. Just say, God, take over. And it sounds simple, but that's what it is. But Witnessing, too, is a learned talent. Um, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become, the more aware, I don't want to say in tune to the Holy Spirit, but you, you get the mindset of Christ. You, you get having the heart of Christ of like, like God, show, show me the loss. Help, help me turn this conversation from um, an earthly conversation to an eternal conversation. Um, where's the best place to start evangelizing? I get asked that a lot too, and, and just look at where God placed you in your life, to your family, to the neighbors around you, at work, if you're at work, you know, your coworkers, the grocery store, a- anywhere you go, but specifically even to the people that are just directly involved in your life. Well, God puts you there for a reason. Maybe you're the only one that knows the truth, and you're the only one that can share the message. Use what God has given you. I know it, it took me a while, but that's, I know that's why God placed me at my work, is to reach the people that maybe no one else can reach, that Dane, you couldn't reach, or, you know, Brian, you couldn't reach, that God's going to use me to reach them, reach my family. 
reach my neighbors. So just, it starts there. You don't have to go to another country to start telling people about Jesus. If God calls you to do that, awesome. But it just starts right at home. Well, as we uh, begin to wrap this episode up, I just want to say again to our listeners that uh, if you've never come to, to faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you. Uh, investigate further the claim that Jesus Christ has on your life. And for those who have come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you. Share the gospel. You see the farmers planting seeds in the field. Just share the gospel like that. Keep planting the seed. It's it's good seed, and it will bring forth fruit. Uh, I heard it said once uh, this way, we preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. As Christians, we can't make a single convert. We can't make another Christian. This work of new birth, it's a divine work. We are commanded to make disciples who are to go, baptize, teach. But we trust God for the outcome. The Apostle Paul received encouragement from the Lord Jesus and when he's in Corinth, and it's in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in, in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Verse 10. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Verse 11 tells us then what Paul did. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. You see, Paul knew that some would come to faith in Christ, but he didn't know who would. He didn't know who would trust in the Lord. All who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior have the privilege and the responsibility to share the message of the cross. And we, like Paul, can have the confidence to know that it's God who will give sight to the spiritually blind. It's God who gives life to the spiritually dead as he calls men and women from darkness to light. Danny did that in your life. Chad, he's done that in your life. He's done that in my life. And that's what we're simply doing is we're taking the gospel and now we are prayerfully and God willing, we're calling all to repentance. We invite you to repent and believe the gospel. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 through 13, by the Spirit of God, he writes this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever, and listener, you can put your name right there. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned, how much you have broken God's law. We are all sinners. And this invitation is as far and wide as you can get. For whoever calls, on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. We invite you. Admit you're a sinner. Just admit it. God knows it. You know it. Admit it. Tell God, I'm a sinner. And believe that Jesus Christ died for you. Trust in him. 
Call upon God for mercy and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just as the Scripture commands everyone, everywhere, to repent. We want to give you a resource, whether you are coming, you know, investigating uh, Christ, if you are a believer and you want to grow in sharing your faith, check out the resource at uh, wayofthemaster.com, the ministry of Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron. You'll find a lot of good resources there, um, good teaching, and um, it's, a, it's a good resource that has been helpful uh, to us, and we would pass that on to you. We want to thank Chad for coming on the show today. We also want to thank you, our listeners, for listening to this episode of Shining the Light. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast and Twitter at Podcast. You can also email us anytime at podcast at cbcrichmond.com. This show is a ministry of Community Baptist Church of Richmond. We want to thank Stuart Scott for the intro and outro music. If you're listening to this show through iTunes or another podcast app, we ask that you please rate the podcast so we may reach even more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chad, would you uh, close us in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the word, for your word, for the life-saving message that we never could earn salvation. And your plan all along was to reach down to us through your son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty so that all of it come, come to you in repentance and turn towards you. You came to save us, Lord. We can never repay you for that love, for the penalty that you took for us. Um, Lord, but we just love you and honor you. For all those who are listening, Lord, that are hearing this message today, that you pierce their heart, that you convict them, and they turn towards you, Lord. You're the only one that can save. It's only through you. You said you were the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. Our prayer, Lord, my prayer is that all come to repentance that is listening, that are in our lives. Father, we give you the glory. We give you all the honor. We love you and praise you. In our Lord and King, in our Savior's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.